Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And we're back. It's cold. It's raining. It's cloudy. Uh, it's a good day. The theme outside really sets the tone for this conversation. And uh, things are late, I think, at this point in corn, soybean, even the, even to the wheat application stuff. Um, we're already at plan B, C, D, E, or F um, for, for crop year 22 already. I think it has a lot of folks nervous. And so what we wanted to do today, Cameron, was just kind of sit down, um, have a little roundtable discussion, uh, kick around some ideas, uh, try to keep folks from doing something stupid, um, which is, is something I've been known to do uh, under pressure. So uh, so I can completely understand that. And uh and we've got some great guests this morning, uh, got some folks that have some great insights. Um, so let's just go around the table. And since everybody can't see you, introduce yourself and uh, give us a position title. If you've not been on here before, um, tell us a little bit of background on you. I'm Scott Wilburn. I'm staff agronomist. We're here with MFA in the central region. So essentially, I run up the I-70 corridor from Kansas City to St. Louis and 30, 30 40 miles kind of north and south I-70 along that along that stretch. Austin Cleekarmus, crop consultant for uh, Trails Group. I cover Jeff City, California and Versailles. Uh, this is going in my fourth season uh, being a crop consultant. So that's all about Awesome. It. Glad to hear you. Austin. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. Uh, I'm Charlie Ebsmeyer. Um, I'm a local agronomist for Hardin, Missouri locations, um, primarily Glasgow and Boonville. And I've been uh, in this role for four years as well, coming into my fourth season. Gotcha. Perfect. Probably the curliest hair of our crew of <laughs> local agronomists and crop consultants. So I'm just trying to set the picture for everybody since they can't see them sitting here. So, so guys and in, in, in folks that you work with, I'm sure you've had a, a million phone calls this spring already uh, of, of guys just kind of nervous. So it's like, hey, uh, what's going on? What should I do differently? Um, probably folks going out and doing some stuff that maybe they shouldn't do. Um, but what's kind of the number one ledge that you see that you have to kind of talk most folks off of? So far, mine's been stopping some people from planting into not right conditions. Yep. Um, ground, no-till ground especially has been too wet. Um, and guys have been adamant, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. And yep. No, you don't. It's not been right. Let's just wait. We have time yet. Just hold off. Yeah, I would agree. Um you know, guys just trying to jump the gun, trying to get stuff planted, even before they've talked about trying to get ground burned down on no-till situations. Um, some guys even trying to get stuff in the ground before they got it fertilized. So just making sure, the main thing has just been making sure to talk guys through and say, hey, what steps do we have to do before we get a cor get corn in the ground? That way we're not putting the cart before the horse. Yeah, Let, let's, let's, kind of focus on the corn thing for a second. So if I drag my planter out there and um, I'm not saying I'm not going to disclose where I've, whether I've actually done this this year or not. So or not. Don't, don't ask. Uh, <laughs> he, he, so, he has done it. Okay. <laughs> so if you actually drag your planter out there and, uh, and pull it across the ground when it's too wet, what are some risks that you're actually essentially taking? Um, because yeah, it's marginal. We can, we can track through it, but uh but what are we typically doing and, and what are kind of the long, long-term effects of that? First thing, if it's too wet, I mean, we're looking at the main, main thing would be sidewall compaction and not closing that seed trench well enough. And I mean, we have enough moisture now, seeds probably going to germinate, come out of the ground. But if we dry up like we almost always do midsummer, you know, that's just going to going to cause a lot more issues later in the season than we, than we may realize currently. And if we don't get that seed trench closed, we're going to be in for uneven stands, um, less than ideal stands, maybe around 20,000 plants up. And that's you're starting to draw lines of replanting already. So why push it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, and I know the university kicked out something a couple of days ago, Scott, too, um, kind of showing that you know, kind of your projected yield loss based on your planting date. Right. Um, I didn't kind of want to go into that too, because everybody's kind of seen those graphs or at least kind of knows they exist. That, and, and, and that's why guys push so hard, right? We all know it's like, Hey, it's May 5th today. Like let's get something done because the calendar says we need to get something done. 
And then you stare at these nice graphs that say you lose, you know, X percentage of your yield potential if you're planting in late May, early June, whatever. Um, you know, that is a trend line. I think that's important to, to talk about and that there are lots of specific years where some of that later planted corn, again, if you're talking about the ground conditions at planting, there's a lot of situations where that later corn planted into better ground conditions is going to out yield your earlier corn anyway. Right. I mean, would you agree with that or? You know, I guess I, I would, I've always said the two, probably the two toughest decisions that we have to make as agronomists are, or at least what were always the, the tougher decisions for myself were, have we lost nitrogen and, and what do we need to do about it? And replant situations which really start start pulling in those charts and those uh, you know those past trends that you're that you're talking about having so many of the top dress machines now and some of the products that we have uh, have really taken some of the stress off of that nitrogen piece to where you know it's not as big a deal as it was in the past when you, you knew hey knee high corn you're, we're not going to be able to get over it with anything we're going to have to get the planes you know, now, now we can go in really late. Yeah. Um, so, so that one's not so tough. So that, that comes back and leaves this replant situation. Right. And so the way that I've always tried to, to deal with that, it's an emotional decision. Um, and I know I'm talking about replanting before we've even planted, but it's going to your, oh, to, yeah. the, to the numbers that you're talking about. They all sure. factor in. Um, it's an emotional decision for the grower. It, it's an emotional decision. I can tell you for the person that's helping them make that decision. Um, so you really start drawing back or dropping back rather. And, uh, you, you try to take the emotion out and, and to do that, you start injecting some numbers and those numbers are those trend lines. They are those dates. Um, you know, I've got a copy. This is one I've had for years that, that extension that put out that, you know, you start looking at your expected yield, um, and you start, um, in the case of a replant, you, you equate that to the stand that you have left and, and try to figure out, hey, do I, do I try again or not? But those numbers are built off of historical references that, that, that do mean something um, and do need to be referenced. And we know crop insurance takes these into account as, as uh, coverage starts to, uh, um, to be, you know, is lowered at, at a certain date. Um, but having said all of that, and we have raised some incredible corn planted in the month of June. Yeah. Uh, and I'm talking about central Missouri. This is, you know, this is kind of where, where my experience is, but, you know, corn planted on the, the 9th and 10th and even later um, in June, we, we've had some really good yields over the last several years. So even going back to the original question of having to kind of talk people back, uh, I've had a lot of conversations in the last few days about, you know, how we are getting laid and, you know, kind of those different plan B, C, Ds, and E's. Um, but in most cases, I think we have such recent history and experience. Um, you know, so far, I, I think a lot of people have been willing to, you know, to keep their powder dry and make sure everything's ready to go because we never know what kind of window we're going to get and how wide it's going to be. But I, I haven't ran into a lot of uh, situation. And, and honestly, guys, we're at least where I'm, I've spent a lot of my time, now, on the western side of the state, a lot has been planted Yes, in, in my area. Yep. Um, you basically get on, on the east side of 65, and, and there's, right. there's not much that's been done. And a lot of it, you couldn't have even slopped it in if you wanted to. Right. Um, but, you know, I, th I think we do just have this past, uh, just the last, this, hit, this recent history of, of raising some really good crops. And, you know, we're talking June corn, and, you know, we had some excellent, late July beans. Even. Right. Yeah. Uh, just, just incredible how things have kind of shifted from what we would have thought 20 years ago. We wouldn't have even dreamed of doing something like that. Sure. Yeah. And I think, I think you brought up a good point. Um, kind of what Charlie said too, is, you know, one of the things talking about is backing people off when it comes to whether or not they have their fertilizer on place. And we're talking about the nitrogen and, you know, we have the ability to do, we have top dress rigs and we have that ability. And again, I think that's kind of changed over the last few years when we're thinking about that. I'm sure we're going to talk about nitrogen loss with this weather that's happening and stuff. But, you know, some of these guys, for a long time, we've been really set on, we can't plant corn until we have all of our nitrogen in place. 
And that's not necessarily as true today as it has been in the past. Now, I'm not advocating that go plant all your corn with zero nitrogen on and hope that you can put everything out, you know, with the top dress rig. That's not what I'm advocating by saying this. But we do have a little bit more flexibility from this. And especially when you look at years like this where we've been really wet, these guys that I have got a lot of nitrogen on at this point, you know, you look at some of our models and stuff, we've lost quite a bit. So we're going to have to replenish that anyway. So it's one of those factors that we don't necessarily have to get tied down from that aspect. But again, I'm not going to say don't put any nitrogen on, go plant all your corn and then just hope like hell we can get everything together before. Yeah. But it's certainly possible. Right. Uh, it's certainly achievable now. I guess yes, when we're absolutely. Not, not as bound to some of those things. So uh, before we leave planting, moving forward, Say say we get a dry window here because it's been it's been talked about it's been talked about for the last month and a half. But um, say we get a dry window in the next ten to fifteen days here. Um, I mean, what recommendations, if any, do you guys make as far as changing changing up what we're doing? Um, population, hybrid, seeding depth, any of that kind of stuff change for you guys? Or and, and talk me through why or why not. I personally, I don't see much, much needing to change on that. I mean, we're still, if we dry up next week, we're still first sure. half of May. Sure. I mean, a lot of corn goes in early May every single year. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we, no. ju we just seem like we're, oh, everyone thinks we're behind and to some degree we are, but we're not so far behind when you start making those decisions. I got you. So, so what, what would be your trigger points on some of those kind of things? I mean, Later into June, I'm assuming, before you would mm -hmm. even think about some of those kind of changes. Yeah, start looking in later later May, early June. That's when you start trying to figure out if we do need to start making some changes. Yeah. Okay. I, I would just caution on that, that this is where you really need to have a uh, have a good relationship with, with your seed, uh, your seed provider. And that, that they really know their numbers, they know their products. Because just a knee jerk to a uh, to an earlier maturity, and, th and this goes for, for corn and, and, and beans both, um, may, not, may not be the right fit. You know, you still wanna look at, at a uh, product that is, you know, that has been adapted for your area. And, you know, if you drop back to something that, that is much earlier than you would normally do, um, by definition, you, if that's not something you plant year in and year out, you, you've chosen something that you don't have a lot of experience with in this area. So, you know, even last year, I, I can tell you, as we were planting beans well past the 15th of July, you know, central Missouri, we have a lot of, you know, what, tell me guys, three, eight to four, two probably catches a lot of the beans. And, you know, they, we were still going out and having some good results with, with three, six, sevens, eights. Um, you know, it's not like we had to drop back to a, you know, a two something or, uh, you know, just something really early. And a lot of that, there's some other things without getting too far in the weeds. You just really, once you get late, you've, 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 you're past the solstice and everything's happening so fast, you really limit any, any ability to have to yield. But you also, you're choosing something that's just not adapted, you know, for the area, the climate. You don't know anything about the disease issues that, that you can see. Um, Similar things can happen with corn. Now, does that mean that, you know, when, if we get really late and we're into June, you know, you're, you're necessarily, if you were looking at some longer maturing corn that you may not back some of that off, you know, sure, we do that. But you really want to make those decisions looking at the whole piece and, and not just the number, not just that relative maturity. Um, and it's, and, and it's not wrong having these conversations now, but I, I'm like Charlie. I don't think we're anywhere close to pulling the trigger on any of those things yet. I've had too many people call asking that stuff last year because we were getting wet and sure. wanting to get corn to ground. And I got switched to 102-day corn on it was Memorial Day weekend when he was calling me. It shot himself in the foot so bad it wasn't even funny. That corn is not adapted to this area. It's meant for Minnesota and all that ground. Mm -hmm. They're not, Southern Rust ate it up last year because it was planted late. Southern Rust moved in and it's not resistant to that stuff. It's because it's never dealt with it in that far north of the climate. Yeah, probably so, doesn't even have a rating on some of no, that kind of stuff because it's no. never been planted in that geography. Well, and the heat tolerance of a, of a hybrid like that, you know, if it's That's meant for point. Northern Iowa or Minnesota, you know, when it, when it encounters 
you know, we're all wearing jackets and long sleeves and everything today. You know, it's supposed to be 90 next week. Mm -hmm. You know, it, we never know what's going to happen in Missouri, but we know at some point it's going to get hot. And, you know, if that, if that heat happens during that two or three weeks, you know, on the front and backside of pollination, you know, you can see something like that really, you know, fall out of bed pretty quick. So, yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's exactly right. I think it's, it's important to remember if you do make those changes, make continue to make them into a hybrid that's still i mean we go down to i don't know what we carry down to 105 105 day corn or something like that and and that's still a hybrid that should exist here right but but when you when you break over that cliff you know then then you are you're grabbing something that's designed for northern iowa or minnesota or wherever that somebody's shipping in and probably never even been planted in the same zip code that you're in you know so no, that's that's good good reminders. So back to the nitrogen loss thing. Um, you know, I, I think we have seen um, a significant amount of nitrogen loss, but kind of similar to what Cameron said, you know, I've we've kind of watched some of the modeling and and whatnot, and it seems like um, we're definitely showing some some gaseous loss, some leaching loss um, from our applications, especially some of those that we had such a wide open fall. We had a lot of nitrogen put on last fall. Um, that seems like a really long time ago at this point because it is. <laughs> so um, you guys kind of want to talk about that and and how do we manage around that moving forward? Um, how do we try to quantify how much we've lost or at least take a look at, at trying to quantify how much we've lost um, once we do get in there and get, get everything planted and, and get rolling forward? Well, say Austin and I spoke yesterday a little bit about adapt in or or uh, track in. Um, I'll say if you wanted to kind of touch on that a little I bit. I use Nutritrack in as a very it's a very very good tool to help model nitrogen loss. Is it one hundred percent accurate? I don't know, can't verify it, but it gives you a very good baseline idea of where your losses are at. I've got fields sitting right now with areas that show they've lost one hundred and thirty pounds in to the areas that lost zero. So your average around 60, 70 pounds of loss already. Mm -hmm. It helps provide a very good idea of what you need to put on for your top dress application for the guy that's already planning it. Um, and then the guy that, you know, had a little window to get your spring anhydrous on, start putting, plugging that stuff in and seeing if they need to top dress for their yield goal here into June, first part of July, if they need to top dress. Yeah. I think you're right on that, and I'll 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 ditto that that basically every nitrogen recommendation is wrong, <laughs> um, but but I enjoy the tools like that that can at least give you a trend line and give you something that um, uh, something that models loss and something that takes into account many of those ever changing parameters that we have that deal with weather and all those kind of things. You know, a, a yield goal based nitrogen rec doesn't change when the weather changes, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's why it's important to use these models. We all we have a better understanding of nitrogen than, than that. I think we can agree on, and um, it's probably one of the better tools that we have out there. Uh, and, and they're a good tool. I mean, and, and they work both ways. You know, when we first started looking at these tools, um, Thad Becker that oversees our precision uh, efforts with MFA put together some nice trials to compare the different products that were out there. So one of them was adapt in, which is, which is what we've kind of settled on mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. Um, just being able to implement it and take advantage of the fact that we have a lot of soil data, you know, for, through a grid sampling and, and we can feed that uh, information into that as well for that model. But we looked at it, we looked at climate, which a lot of folks are, are familiar with. Um, Dr. Peter's, <clears throat> Excuse me, Dr. Peter Scarf had through, the, through extension had uh, had uh, a product that used more uh, aerial imagery, um, but we we tried all of those, and in the particular year that we were looking at them, the problem was not that we had lost; it was that we had such favorable conditions. We'd actually mineralized a lot of nitrogen that we did not count on, and the models were actually in that case saying that we did not need the extra nitrogen. Okay. And and I will just say I was wrong and all three of them were, were right that year, um, you know, because on the ground, you just felt like there was no way we're going to raise the crop that we're planning to by not putting on this additional end that was planned. Um, but when we left the checks, um, even on the fields that 
that I didn't trust it. And we went ahead and sprayed or spread the majority of the field with the, with the top dress that was planned. The checks that we left in there showed that the models were actually right. Um, so these are, they're not perfect. Um, there's times that um, they seem to be, you know, maybe a little more aggressive, not aggressive enough, but, but they're a great tool to, again, kind of like I said earlier with, with replant and some of this other stuff, it's, it's one way to try to at least take some of the emotion out of it and, and just deal with what you're with, uh, with, with the numbers. It's hard because I think we've, we've been stuck in this rut in the last couple of years of seeing these every spring we see this model kick in and say, yep, we, we've lost a whole bunch. We've lost a whole bunch and they're not wrong, right? We've had a lot of um, heavy rate events, just increased frequency of, of those rain events and you're going to lose, you know, you're going to lose some. Um, just brings us full circle into the importance of timely applications and utilizing some of that newer equipment that we've got sitting around, uh, you know, to make those top dress applications. Um, typically that nitrogen we spin out there towards the end of June is not near as susceptible to getting lost as what we stick in the ground in, in November. I mean, it's just like, it's a good, well, and good we had a lot go on last year and some of it was, was earlier than November. Yep. Um, there's, you know, extension sent an article out this morning, just kind of, or I think last night or this morning talking about, um, about the subject. So it's, so it's, it's going to be something that people are talking about. You know, I, I have, I, I've had more questions about that the last few days than I have about trying to force planning. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I would just say if, if you're, you know, if your producer listen to this, um, you know, get with your, uh, you know, your crop consultant, your, your precision specialist at your location, you know, we all, um, we have access to, to the models. Um, we can go ahead, even if you're not planted, we can go ahead and get the preliminary information of when you put your, you know, if you put gas on in the fall, when, when you put it on, did you use a stabilizer? What was the date? Um, we can feed a lot of that in. And then once, once you get your planning information, we can, we can put that in as well. And there may be some positives along the way. We've been awfully cool. I was looking, uh, looking at some of these um, yesterday and you know there's not a tremendous amount of nitrogen that that looks like it's it's mineralized yet um you know it's possible we we could we could gain some on that side but um i'm, I'm not going to try to brush off the fact that it does look like we're, we're set up to to have some losses especially in the areas i'm looking at a map right now of 30 30 day rainfall and this was prior to the event we're in the middle of right now and yesterday um, you know, there's parts of, <clears throat> excuse me, parts of, uh, well, there's really big chunks of the state, you know, in the Northern part of the state, especially on the Western side, um, you know, we did not have near the rainfall, but when you get in kind of that, that Columbia, you know, Columbia area down, you know, down Jeff city, um, there's some spots uh, outside of Kansas city that ha have had just some tremendous rainfall. Uh, then you get, get down into the the kind of southern central part of the state we've had a lot of a lot of heavy rain now if your if your ammonia was put on late uh and especially if it had uh, an inhibitor like inserv or, or centuro i think we have a reasonable expectation that a lot of that is still ammonium um and you know if it's ammonium it's tied to the soil and if you're not losing the soil you're not losing the end once it's nitrate that's when we lose it and that's what we're trying to to prevent by by adding the stabilizers but if you were, you know, I, I spoke with a grower yesterday, central, you know, central Missouri um, was putting on ammonia, um, you know, 26th of October. Uh, that probably has had a chance to, to convert. And now the weather that we're getting, um, we can lose it. I'm, I'm real concerned about next week. If we go into next week in 90 degree temperatures with saturated soils, that's when we, that's when we can denitrify when we're not warm. Saturated soils are, are all it takes to kick off denitrification. But when you when you throw some heat to it, it, it kind of turbocharges that whole situation. So um, we're at the front end of really worrying about this, but if, if the rains continue over the next week and a half, it's uh, especially with the heat, it's it's gonna become a uh, it's gonna be a, be an important topic we're gonna have to address. Yeah, I think the moral of the story is keep on top of it. Um, with seven and eight dollar corn, uh, you really can't even with nitrogen prices the way they are, because believe me, I've done this math. On, <laughs> I've done this math multiple times. Uh, you can't have a bunch of nitrogen efficient yellow corn out there in 
August and September. It just that that still doesn't pay, right? And I think that just goes to the point not to just beat down the nitrogen piece, but we know that yeah, we got a lot of gas on, we got a lot of nitrogen on in the fall, but we still have a lot to go this spring, right. yeah. and we don't know what the weather's going to bring. And so a lot of times, you know, we get to the especially this late in the year. I mean, we're talking about this late in the year. Well, I still need to get it on. Well, my prices are high, so let's just not do the stabilizer piece because I want to try to cut a cost. That is not the smart move by any means that, you know, at this point in time, when we're thinking about our input costs, we still need to protect that nitrogen because we don't know if we're going to dry up. We don't know if we're going to continue to be wet from that aspect. And so, you know, we had a lot of losses last year that, you know, did not occur until, you know, we went through the first part of June pretty dry and that and it's and it's crazy to think about now considering how the year ended up but we we were really more concerned with with kind of the beginnings of, of, of kind of some drought conditions and you know when it started raining on i think around the 19th of june or something like that we were we were pretty excited about it and, and it never stopped yeah sharing rainfall you know how much have you had how much have you had are you getting the rain looks like you're yep. getting some and, you know looking at the maps and then yeah it doesn't stop and we're Mud double, weed out double in the digits within a week. Yeah, almost two feet of rain in some areas in seven day period. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, the losses they can they can build up then, and and you know I we we put a lot on in the fall. Uh, quite frankly, we we rely on good fall movement, um, and not MFA, but I mean as an industry, uh, this the logistics of of anhydrous are are they have always been tight. Um, you know, we lost a, a pipeline a few years ago. That only made it worse. Um, trucking situations and having hazmat drivers and all that kind of thing have only been compounded over the last couple of years. Um, you know, we had the conversation about needing fall movement 10 years ago, but on everything that drives that is, has only gotten, you know, just just much, much worse. So, um, but it's it's been tough uh, when you get into these kind of springs and and you need a crop out there using it and you know it's still in the bag yeah what um nice question here you know we do obviously have quite a bit of anhydrous to run in some spots you know at what point are we deciding to stop that and start start using utilizing our other options you know start going getting the corn planted and then having to worry about running urea or something instead like at what at what time frame i guess you know, all I've all I've got on. I'd be interested to hear what everybody else. You were looking at me, so I'll answer yeah, first. Yeah, every, anyone is that. That's something I've kind of worried, wondered. Well, about. we've. You know, I will say had some thoughts, but this this is anecdotal. I, I don't have good side by side, and mm-hmm. and I would almost like to. You know, we've got a toolbar that's set up that we can do some pretty neat things as far as trials, and and I'd I'd love to do some of that. So we had some of our own data on on some different uh, topographies and soil types. But just anecdotal, for all of the headaches, hassle, everything involving anhydrous, let's be honest, the dangers involved with it, um, year in, year out, it it seems to raise the best crop. Um, I worked with a grower a couple years ago that we got into that situation because we've had these late, you know, we've been late now for what, I don't, three or four out of the last five years, it seems. It's because kind of I, honestly it feels like you know i think our insurance date in, in my part of the world used to be around april 10th for plant corn and then it was april 5th mm-hmm. and then it was april 1st and i think ever since it dropped back to that i don't think we've ever heard you know we haven't hardly been in the yeah been early like that i mean it That's used right. to be that we were sitting around waiting for the insurance date and now it just yeah. kind of comes and goes without without anybody even noticing. even noticing it because you're not you don't have a chance to do anything but uh you know, I worked with a grower a couple of years ago that got in that situation, had a lot of ground that, you know, it lays pretty wet and, and um, just was tough to get into. And so that he could plant, we went ahead and, and, we, and we did everything we could. I mean, we, we put some dry down. We used, uh, if it wasn't Super U, it had Agritain or I guess Anvil now. I believe it was actually Super U. Um, he got planted and then we came back in uh, right around... Uh, it was right around the 4th of July, some of it actually on the 4th of July. Got it top dressed, got rain, just a beautiful rain right after that to, to send it in. And the the gas that he get that he was able to get on the year before, and granted, this is way anecdotal because 
we're talking different fields and everything mm-hmm. else. But as far as production goes, the, the anhydrous that he was able to get on in the fall still outperformed everything that we did on the dry side. Now, I know that Coke has some excellent data that shows uh, late applications with Super U, um, you know, up against anhydrous. It's very positive, and that's why I'd like to see some of that. I'd like to play with some of it ourselves. Um, but there's still, I, I still feel year in and year out, if I've got a chance to get anhydrous on it, it, it seems to be our it seems to be our most stable form of nitrogen. Um, even even the dry, you know, the the dry. If we can get it on, we get it rained in. You know, we're gonna we're gonna be dealing with nitrate pretty quick in those situations. Mm-hmm. And when we get hit with these six and seven inch rains, that all of a sudden everything's saturated and it's ninety degrees. There's still those opportunities for loss or or even movement, just you know, on the surface of the soil. Um, if at all possible, I'm 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 gonna try to put in hydrous on pretty late. Yeah, those are my that's, that's my thought, right or wrong. Yeah, right. what do you guys think? Yeah, no, I I think it's one of those things that it's hard to beat that uh, form of nitrogen from a stability standpoint, like what you mentioned. Um, I guess it would. It I'm just kind of putting myself in the situation that Charlie threw out there. And I would say if we're, if we're in this next two weeks here zone and, and I got time to wait for that plant back that's required when you put gas on, um, I'd be okay with that. Once we start getting towards the end of May, if it was me, I would probably cue the floater truck and go ahead and run the planter there. Because um, I think it's just a trade-off of, of what you think the date is and, and how you think your soil conditions are. And um, everybody's antsy at this point, but but it's still just the first week of May. So like I said, for the next two weeks here, I probably wouldn't worry. I probably wouldn't make that switch, but at some point there, I likely would. Um, but I would also, at this point in the year, if, if you were looking at something that, if it was soybeans last year um, and, and your residue dictates that, I wouldn't get too crazy with that initial, and this is just me on my stuff, I wouldn't get too crazy with that initial nitrogen application, especially if I'm switching to dry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would save the bulk of it for the, the top grass at, at that Absolutely. point because we're worried about the stability of it, you know? Yeah. Those are kind of my thoughts. Like, again, we're not terribly late. You right. know, I don't think we need to be making huge management changes until we get later in May. Yeah. I just kind of curious what, what you guys' thoughts on that because I know – you do have the plant back with anhydrous, you know. Sure. Guys yep. guys are wanting to get corn in right now and they're yep. wanting to maybe try and skip that and work run dry instead. And yep. Just kind of wanted to I know last year, at least in northeast Missouri where I was that was my territory last year, uh there was a lot of June anhydrous going on. Uh, yeah. you know, even even getting into those situations. I mean you can only you can only do so much in each field at a time. So I mean we're where we're running still a lot of custom and and all that, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to be doing something on one field, having something else done somewhere else. Sure, sure. But the uh, at some point there, the floater truck goes a lot faster than that toolbar does. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, anything else on nitrogen? Because we've got some other stuff that we want to talk about. No, just just watch it over the next. You, you'll see information coming out, and, and I, the big one would be talk talk to your local folks at your at your store. The NutriTrack in it's a, it's a good tool. Adapt in it's a you know like Austin said, it's not perfect. You said none of them are perfect. They're not, but it's a yeah. It's one of my favorite tools. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's a it's a good one. We don't we use it a lot, but we still probably way underutilize it. Um, there's a little bit of setup with it, so that's something you can be doing. With. When it's raining. My jest and being jaded about nitrogen. I love to talk about nitrogen, but yeah, I I still 100% believe that that every wreck or every model out there is, is probably wrong to some degree. It's just a matter of, of what there's just, there's, there's way too many variables there, but that's for a different discussion. All right. Uh, soybeans. I know there are parts of the state where there are a lot of beans in the ground already. Um, I've talked to a number of folks who uh, didn't plant any corn, but they did plant some soybeans. Um, and so talk to me about 
kind of maybe why they made that decision, why they may tolerate those conditions uh, better than the corn. And then you guys looking forward to, uh, to anything somewhat similar to kind of what we discussed on the corn and any major changes that you see moving forward on, on soybean acres. Well, I had a guy who last week we had a small three, four day window. He, um, went out with beans instead of corn. His main reasoning was his anhydrous wasn't down. Yep. So while he was out helping with that, he had someone else to go and run the bean planter just to get something in the ground. Yep. Um, conditions are right. Um, that's, that's the main thing I'm going to point out on beans. Just make it, make sure your conditions are right. Again, make sure you have plans for getting it. If it's not, you know, in this case, it was a guy who, who um, planted into cover crop, planted green in the cover crop. If it's not been sprayed yet, make sure you got a plan to have it sprayed. Yeah. Um, get it, get on the list, talk to locations, um, talk to whoever, just make sure, again, you're not getting too far ahead of the game there. Sure. So that'd be my main, my, my main point of concern. Yeah, I think you're right because uh, uh, somewhat unlike corn, I guess, not across the board, but somewhat unlike corn, um, you, you do get a little bit handcuffed once those beans come up, um, which they're going to take a long time to do at this point with the ground as cold as it is. However, we've got 90 degrees in the forecast. And so pretty soon we're going to instantly go to, uh, you run those beans in there, they're going to be up four days later. And uh, <laughs> and you're you're a little bit handcuffed on the, uh, on the soybean herbicides. Mm-hmm. So just kind of understand where you're at, where the beans are going to be at when you want to be in there spraying, yeah, I think is a, is a big deal. One thing I'd, if guys want to push that early soybean, they had to have a heck of a seed treatment program. Yes. If they're Absolutely. not trying or even considering it, it's a waste of time in my opinion. They oh. need to protect that seed if they're going to be going early. Yep. I, I 100% agree. I think that has the whole seed treatment industry and, and advances, especially on soybeans in the last 10 to 15 years here is what has got us to the point of it's the same dang soybean. It's the same soybean that we were planting 20 years ago, as far as the seed and, and its viability in cold, wet soil. It's the same thing. The difference is now we have a modern seed treatment that's that's on there that allows us to get the reputation that, that folks have with soybeans that they can tolerate a lot of that better than corn. And I would say, I mean, at this point, we're looking at mid-May by the time we drive back out sure. you know, next week. That's not necessarily early for beans. No, However, definitely not. You know, I mean, the way the weather trend has been going, it's probably going to continue to be fairly wet. So, you know, some guys may may want to try and cut back on on seed treatments because they may look at the calendar and say, "Oh, we're not we're not that early anymore." But yeah. we don't know what the weather's going to do. And yeah. having that seed treatment on for when we have weeks like this where there's nothing but rain and stay cold. I Absolutely. Mean, and even those can't be know, beat. Even those early June rains where we get two or three inches and the sun pops back out and it's 95 degrees an hour later. I mean, that, when you look at seedling diseases, that's nearly ideal. Prime time. Nearly yeah. ideal conditions. Like if you were going to create a laboratory environment to, to initiate some of those seedling diseases, that is what it would be. Mm-hmm. And so even at that point, you know, there's just, you cannot guarantee nice, dry, perfect soil okay. conditions for that soybeans first three weeks of life. I mean, we live in Missouri. Maybe if you were in Western Kansas where it rains 10 inches a year, you could, you could be better. You could do a better job of guaranteeing some of those soil conditions. We just can't do it. Yeah. I just, I, I don't think you can be the insurance for yeah your beans for the price of your Well, as you get later in the year, I mean, that's, I understand if you were going to, treat one bean and not another, you think, well, the last planted, but you don't have a lot of extra chances after that either. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you really, you're exactly counting right. on getting a stand at that point. So, um, you know, are there, are there times when, you know, you might've been all right? Absolutely. Are there, but I mean, are there times you don't need that serve? Are there times you don't, there's a lot of things we do that, you know, we're kind of running off of that five year average that this pays yeah. and seed treatments and, you know, even the insecticide treatment, not just the, the, the disease piece, but some of the, the, the insecticide treatments and in, that go in, uh, they, they prove themselves. Yeah. That's a great point. I, everything that almost everything that we do is, is, has some sort of risk versus reward tied to it. Right. No, very, very few things work 
100% of the time. And so a lot of what we're doing is a risk versus reward. And yeah, that something, you know, you do not have time to take the risk to lose the crop and redo it three weeks later is a lot, you know, you've, you've already lost it at that point. So it, it's a, it's a lot of it's risk management, risk management essentially that we're, that we're working with. Any other soybean thoughts? Probably the same, same thought processes on changing maturity groups and all that kind of stuff. We kind of discussed the, the solstice and the day length and whatnot, which we're not even there yet, obviously. Uh, we're, so we're a ways away from that. I mean, there, but, there is a point where when you get extreme late, you know, you start having some conversations about truly being fearful of a frost or an early frost. Right. But like I said, even last year, I, I, something else that comes into play is availability of seed. I mean, let's just yeah. oh, absolutely. get out in front of that. What do you have? Um, but for the most part, you're still going to be dealing with stuff. You want to deal with something that's, that's uh, you know, that's been proven in that, in that area, in that zone. And, uh, you know, so you're, you know, you're usually just not, and I, and I've seen all extremes. I've seen guys, you know, like I said, we plant in, in the area that I've spent most of my career, you know, somewhere in that, three, six, three, seven, up to about a four, one or two. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen guys play with, with some fives. I've seen guys play with some, you know, double lots. Uh, you know, there's a reason we plant a lot of three eights and three nines. Sure. You know, they've been proven year in and year out and we know them. And so even as we get late, um, and in fact, now in, in beans, if we, if we would get late in this, and we always deal with this a little bit on double crop, uh, we actually want to kind of stretch a little bit, you know, longer. If you if you're a three eight three nine guy, that might be the place that you want to stick your four three or four. Yep. Just to uh, just to take advantage of uh, uh, you know you're past the past the solstice at that time. Everything goes pretty quick. The earlier the maturity, and and if you have a little longer maturity, you have more of an opportunity to get some growth and and affect yield that way. So right, yeah, not just yield, but harvestability and trying to make sure that yeah. you get enough height on those plants to get yep. them in the machine. Because if they make a whole bunch of beans at a half inch off the ground, that doesn't do you a whole lot of good. <laughs> so, yep. Um, switching over to wheat, what are your thoughts? I know you guys have been out in the field, um, probably looking at some wheat fairly recent, fairly recently here. Um, cold, wet, cloudy. I mean, talk me through how that's kind of affected things as we've gone through this spring, and um, and kind of what it has you looking at moving forward. What I'm seeing on my wheat so far is it stayed relatively shorter than normal um, with the cool, yep. wetter condition, just not really had its prime growing condition. But as we flip to what we're looking at next week, sunny, 90s, humid, that wheat's going to grow like crazy. So it's time to start planning our fungicide applications because we're probably going to be facing leaf diseases as well as trying to prevent head scab in the future because we've been so wet. And it's moved up from the south, so we're facing potential disease issues. So it's time to start planting the fungicides. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, a lot of the wheat I'm looking at, there's um, some fields that are probably going to be at that 50% head emergence that we'll need for nearby ACE applications here next week, especially if we do mm -hmm. get sunny and we do get 90 degrees. So sure, because those are certainly like those are growing degree unit based stages, right? Not calendar days so as we get into some of that stuff we're going to start to quickly accumulate yeah you know exactly. one or two days next week will be like the last two weeks combined essentially <laughs> i mean in reality that's true that's right exactly. um in uh in, in how fast things progress in that world yeah weed is really the one that uh it, 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 it really pays to get out in the field if you're just passively driving by a wheat field you know, you, you've seen them get a little taller over the last few weeks, but you're not seeing all the changes and how we've raced through, raced through stages. We have, we have, we have went to, you know, to barely joining to the flag leaf being out. Now we're seeing some heads poke out and all this has been in a matter of just a couple of weeks. Um, and it, and it's going to, it's going to continue to do that. So the, the big one right now that both guys touched on, I mean, it's, it's time. If you're, if you're planning on a fungicide for head scab, which, you know, to a lot of wheat producers, that's, that's table stakes anymore. Uh, it's time to be getting, getting everything lined up. Uh, you know, 
if there's places where you can do it with a ground rig, that obviously gives you some flexibility, but for just covering the acres and the small window we have and the fact that we're going to be pretty wet on a lot of acres, uh, it's time to be get the planes lined up and get the product lined up and staged and ready to go. Uh, there'll, there'll be a lot of it sprayed next week, especially further south. And uh, uh, I think we'll have some up in this part of the world that uh, will be close if, if, if not actually there. Um, be a little further behind as, as you go north, but but again, I mean, it'll it'll be here before you know it. So it's time. Yeah, exactly. You know, excuse my ignorance on this when it comes to wheat, but just out of curiosity, because you know we're talking about this nicer weather coming, more potential exponential growth when it comes to it. How's that going to affect potential lodging for when it comes to harvest time? Is it, you know, because the, the wheat hasn't really been growing too much from that aspect because it's been cooler, right? So is is this big boost in potential growth, is that gonna have an impact or is it really not? I, I don't know that that's a concern that I would have. Um, I do have some concerns about about the quick change in weather. I mean, yeah. part of it is uh, like Austin alluded to, just the disease. We've, there, there's disease down in the lower canopy. There always, you know, there always yeah. is. Um, you get the right conditions though, it, it can take off fast. I have, uh, you know, I, I back in, uh, well, I remember it was 2016 because 2015 was a year that we, you know, we had so much wheat that was not even marketable. And, um, and I just, and I actually, I dealt with some guys that year that ended up, uh, sowing some of that unmarketable wheat as a cover crop and then it was kind of a year like this that we had a decent price on it and everything and all of a sudden we're managing it as a real crop but there was one field in particular i was working with a guy on and uh i mean literally over a hot weekend common rust just exploded in this field uh, i had looked at the field um, late friday afternoon and by sunday it was orange and and you know you didn't notice anything at all that just a couple of days before so when you get these hot swings you can you can really uncover some some weaknesses that were already there, but just you know they were waiting for conditions. Yeah, uh, we saw that last year. Even yes, little little different weather conditions, but I mean, one week went by and half of half of the wheat fields fired up from yeah. a plethora of diseases because they just sat there in the soil wet like we've been this spring so far, and finally were able to to express themselves once. And was that uh, on the ones you were looking at? Uh, some of that was kind of more the low-lying areas. Yeah, like a, lot of it, and... a lot of it was where water sat, uh, terrace channels, low spots in the field. So, I mean, those those are definitely spots to be looking out for this year as well because obviously we've had had the moisture, had the cool, wet weather, not too different from what we were had, what we had this time last year. Well, I will say, not to turn this into a commercial, but I will say I, I had uh, we I had the extension plant pathologist out last year and and we're, we're going to miss her. We're, we're without that position now. Um, she's went out east to a different different position, but very good, had her out to the field a lot. Uh, one of the nice things kind of being here in central Missouri, you have, you have pretty good access to some of those, those extension folks. But we looked at one field in particular, and it was during the same period, I know you were dealing with it, Charlie. But, uh, you know, because of the diseases that, that had shown up and to the degree they'd shown up, we looked at one field that, she did not even think that it needed to be combined. And uh, long story short, it, it had been treated. It had been treated with, I believe it was, it may have been Prosaro. It was either Prosaro or Miravis. Uh, but he was able to market his wheat. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's some really bad spots, I think, that, you know, cut around. But, you know, overall, and I know we had some issues last year with marketing some wheat, but it, but it wasn't anything like, like it had had in the past. And it sure wasn't what I thought we were going to get into when, yeah. you know, when we were, mud stuff out in July. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's things change pretty quick, but th that's the big one that I'm really concerned about. Um, just with the heat coming on. And yeah. Then, um, yeah, as far as the, as far as the lodging goes, I don't, I don't know that the rapid growth that, I, and it may be, it may be something I'm just not aware of. I have no you idea. Know, I know in a corn crop, of course, you know, when you, when you get in those situations, you can, right. you can end up with a, with a period of time where, uh, you know, you're, you're susceptible to, you know, like a green snap and, you know, you just, that kind of thing. But, uh, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily the case with, with, with the weed, it's really more, or at least what we've associated with 
we associate it more with just overall nitrogen management and how we've managed that growth throughout the whole season, not necessarily right so now. Our vegetative growth is pretty well almost done. Yeah. 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 I'm, I wouldn't be very concerned about lodging yet. Um, as long as you had good fertility early on and good growth, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Did you see much lodging last year, Austin? All I saw in spots was overlap nitrogen and then where drill overlap was. I didn't. I had a couple spots of uh, been around wheat that gets tall and rank and didn't know what's in there. It'd fall over when we're in a couple spots, but nothing major. Austin looks at a lot of wheat and quite a bit of wheat that actually ends up being some of our uh, seed wheat. Um, so yeah, he probably sees as much wheat as any of us. Yeah. Cool. What did we not cover on our trying to avoid mistakes and things to watch out for um, while we're all sitting around waiting for it to dry out conversation here? Anything glaring to you guys that we didn't ask about or we didn't get covered uh, while we were talking here? You know, the big one I would, if you're thinking about something, go ahead and start talking about it. Uh, go ahead and, and start getting a plan together. Um, if you think there's even a possibility of something or needing to pull the trigger on a plan C or D, uh, at least have at least know what the mechanics are um, of making that happen. Um, one of the things we've done a good job as a company the last, you know, really the last five, 10 years is um, we share a lot of equipment. We try to be more efficient with, with this high dollar equipment. Um, but that also means you have to have it in the right place when you need it. So given, given your location manager, you know, just as much, uh, much of a heads up that, you know, not necessarily that you need it Tuesday, but even that you're thinking about, you may need it, um, can really help them plan. It can help them stage product. This is a, this is a situation year in, year out, but this year, of course, everybody knows, um, with the supply, supply chain stuff and everything going on, anything we can know, even months in advance. If, if you're wanting your beans fungicided, you know, tail end of July, go ahead and let somebody know now. Get on that list. Uh, any of that stuff we can know about is is just, uh, it's gonna be very important this year. That, that'd be yeah. the big thing I would just really drive home. Yep. Um, yep, well said. Yeah, there's just a lot of more logistics than normal and moving product around and those kind of things. So this, this time, so. Awesome. Gentlemen, thank you very much for taking the time to come in and sit down and kick it around a little bit. Um, hopefully everybody found it useful. I, I think so. Um, a lot of brain power uh, on, on that side of the room, Cameron. That side of the room. No, no offense there. There's nothing over here. All right. <laughs> no, I appreciate you guys coming in. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, thanks yeah, Charlie. Yeah. Charlie and Austin. They, thanks. They yep. came in on pretty short notice. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Charlie, Austin, Scott, everybody. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.